Welcome to the uh, 1130 service here at North Richland Hills. And welcome all of you that join us every week online at the Hills. So last weekend, I started a series titled Adverbs. The premise of the series is that Christian is not an adjective. It is a noun. And nouns need verbs. So we're asking what verbs do we need to add to our faith to make it authentic. And one verb is give. So I want to thank all of you that were so generous last week regarding our Renew offering. And some of you were not here last week and you still are yet to give. I'm confident that number will get better. But we are authentic when we give to bless those in need. And that's what Renew is all about. So thank you for that. Another verb we add is serve. And so you just heard about an opportunity to serve during Summer Spectacular. We have two sessions We'll have as many visitors during that one week on this campus as any time of the year. And we need people to serve. So consider coming to one session and serving at another. That's a wonderful verb. And another verb is pray. And so I'm going to share with you briefly a tremendous opportunity we just became aware of. So Chris Shelby was a missionary sent by this church to Rwanda for a number of years Now he works for Missions Resource Network, a wonderful missions agency that we partner with. And Chris recruits mission teams to serve in Africa. He was recently at a conference for missionaries and Christians from the northern African countries. And he heard story after story and speaker after speaker say, In our lifetimes we have never seen more Muslims coming to Christ as we are seeing Right now, they said that perhaps the radical examples of hate in the name of Allah that they have witnessed are causing some to rethink their faith. But for whatever reason, right now, the window is open and Muslims are coming to Christ. And so God puts on Chris's heart this audacious idea. The most holy month of the year for Muslims is Ramadan. It's about to begin. Could we raise a 100,000 Christians to pray for the Muslim world during the month of Ramadan? So I'm asking you to consider joining me. Go to our website, backslash Ramadan. You sign up. It takes 15 seconds. And you'll get, starting June 6th for that month, a daily email or a notification on your phone saying, here's the scripture today, here's the prayer request today, here's the Muslim nation today that we are praying for And that's something you could do, a wonderful verb, to add to faith. But I want to talk about a different verb today, a very important verb. And I begin by asking a question. Have you ever posted a picture of yourself with someone that the world would consider to be famous? Maybe they were an entertainer, a famous athlete, a politician, a successful business person, and you took the picture and you put it on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and said, Hey, everybody, look at me. I am standing next to an important person. Why do we do that? Does it somehow make us feel a little more important? If people know that we are even remotely associated with someone considered to be important. Here's a better question. 
How do we decide who is important? Because no one ever posts pictures of themselves with homeless people. No one posts a picture with the person who changes the oil in your car. Or checks you out at the grocery store. Or the older person that greets you when you walk into a Walmart. And I'm not saying it's wrong to take and post those pictures. But I am boldly and unapologetically saying that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus then it is important to let Jesus shape your understanding of who is important. But that's going to require adding a very important verb. So read with me from James chapter 2. We're using James as our platform to search for verbs to add. A little bit longer text today. See if you can spot the verb we're looking for. My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated against among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I'll admit, that's kind of a negative text. There's a whole lot of don't do, don't do, don't do in that text. But there's one big, overarching, clear do that sums up everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. James says it is the royal law because it reigns over all the laws. That's what his brother Jesus said. You could take all the laws of God and put them under love God, love your neighbor. So it reigns over all of them, which means that you cannot be authentically Christian Minus love. And the love James wants us to add is more than a feeling. Love is an active verb. You see, love is easy as long as it's kept in the realm of abstract platitudes. As long as it's kept on coffee mugs and refrigerator 
magnets. Now, I hope you don't think I'm bragging on myself, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm good at love. I really am. I am very good at love. Until people show up. Man, people are so annoying and constantly frustrating my love. You see, adding love to your faith is so much more difficult when people, real people, are added to the equation. It's like the story of the older couple. They're in bed together. And she's not happy with the distance between them. So she says, you know, when we first married, we used to hold my hand in bed. And a few moments later, she felt his hand take hers. But she's still not satisfied. When we first married, you used to cuddle next to me. You could almost hear the muscles moan as he laboriously scooched over closer to her. But she keeps going. When we first married, you used to nibble on my ear. He threw back the sheets and got out of bed. Her feelings are hurt. Where are you going? To get my teeth. Because... When you make love active, it gets off the coffee mug and down into the trench where real people live and where concrete actions are needed. Authentic love is manifested with real acts. And for James, it begins... With how we decide who is important. Now in the ancient world it was easy to know who was important. Just check out the clothes. Because they had in their culture very strict, rigid, understood rules about who could wear what. And only certain classes and certain people were allowed to wear certain colors, certain sashes or certain kinds of jewelry. And you couldn't go to the theater and just sit in the best section because you got there first, not if you weren't dressed right. You couldn't go to a banquet and sit at the head table unless you had on the right clothes. Everybody understood this. This was normal. So you're a rich person and you hear about these people following this rabbi named Jesus and they're gathering at a friend's house and you want to go check it out. So you put on your nice clothes and your jewelry and you show up and you expect to be given the best seat. That's why you dressed the way you did. That's the way everybody plays the game. But James says... We're playing by a different set of rules. Stop that. He says, verse 4, what are you doing? You're making some people more important than others. And let's be honest. We're still playing the game. Every culture has unpublished lists. Of what makes some people more important than other people. In our culture, one thing on that list is beauty. Appearance. Study after study has shown that if you are deemed attractive in our culture, you will be giving preferences people deemed unattractive don't get. Race is still on the list. Still, 
at a personal level and at a systemic level. It can still matter what color your skin is. Gender is still on the list. Age is showing up on the list more and more. If you're too young, or especially, increasingly, if you're considered too old, you're not as important. And affluence is always on the list. The more money you have, the more deference and status you are given. And James is saying, people are always going to have differences. But if they don't make a difference to God, it shouldn't make a difference to us. When someone comes to one of your gatherings, don't look at their clothes. Look at yours. What do you mean? Colossians chapter 3. Above all, you clothe yourselves with love. Because love is an active verb. And we could talk about a thousand kinds of situations where love needs to actively show up. But interestingly, in this text, James is talking specifically about how do you act when someone new shows up at your church? Does love show up when a new person shows up at your gatherings? If we're going to add love, here's three things we've got to remember. Number one, love welcomes anybody. Now, James is not saying it's wrong to be rich. He's saying it is wrong to give people more attention just because they have more money. He says in verse 1, My dear brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, never think some people are more important than others. And that verse literally says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory. And that's important because in the Bible, you've heard me say the idea of glory is the idea of something that's heavy, something that has weight. The reason prejudice and favoritism still plague our society is because we think the wrong things are heavy. If you are called more attractive, if you're the right color, if you're the right age, if you have the right amount of money... We let you throw your weight around. Prejudice still exists because we think the wrong things are heavy. James says Jesus is heavy. He is our heaviness. And when Jesus is heavy, the ways that we used to weigh people get discarded. I love children's ministry. I love Miss Patty, Miss Susan, Miss Laura Beth. I love Summer Spectacular. It's a fairly new thing. Children's ministry was pioneered just a couple of generations ago by a wonderful woman named Henrietta Mears in California. By paying attention to kids, she saw a number of her students grow up to be missionaries and ministers. And she was asked the key to her success in ministry. And she said a wonderful thing. She said, I look at a child. And I imagine across his chest this card that says, My name is, please help me feel important. Wow. 
What if you saw that card on everybody sitting around you today? Please help me. Feel important. God made no one to be laughed at. To be looked down on. To be left out. God doesn't love selectively. Jesus said when God sends His rain, He just drenches everybody. The just and the unjust. So what does that mean? It means everybody is welcome at our church when we gather together. Everybody. Doesn't matter who they are, where they're at, what they think. Now, they may not agree with everything we teach. They may not accept all of our convictions. But anybody who wants to know more about Jesus, anybody, no matter where they're at, what they're doing, or what they think, anybody who wants to investigate following Jesus is welcome at our church. And here's why. Because they are either a believer and Christ lives in them. Or they are not yet a believer and Christ died for them. And so I'm going to ask you a powerful question. Suppose right around you right now somebody is sitting who's never been to church before, would they come back next week because of how you treated them? When we see people, we don't react to what they look like. We reflect who Jesus is and how He's treated us. Which means love values Everybody. Because Jesus never met an unimportant person. That's not the same thing as welcoming everybody. You can welcome people and still not think they're as important. When we determine anybody's value based on worldly distinctions, we are misrepresenting Christ. We might be proclaiming His gospel in the pulpit, but we're denying it in the pew. You can't herald grace and practice partiality. Now, the favoritism that James is mentioning specifically in this text wasn't so much racial prejudice. It was social prejudice. It was the tendency to look down on people because they're poor. And here's the irony, James says. It's not the poor that are hassling you. They're not taking you to court. Think about it. It's not the poor that are mocking the church today with their songs and their movies. It's not the poor that are opposing our values. The people that are making the laws that are eroding our ethic hint. They're not poor. James says, God has chosen the poor, but you're dishonoring them. God doesn't settle for the poor. God chooses the poor. For one thing, because the poor don't oppose grace. The poor don't flaunt their merit. The poor don't let their pride get in the way of their need for a Savior. 
But here's another thing. The poor most embody the opposition of God to the world's definition of value. God hates the way the world decides who's important. And he's doing something about it by who he chooses. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.28, God chose what the world thinks is unimportant. And what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing. In order to destroy what the world thinks is important. This is a big deal to God. So we have got to stop treating prejudice like it's a petty crime. James puts it right up there with adultery and murder. James says, stop treating God's law like it's a cafeteria menu. And you can just go down with your tray and say, I like that law. I'll have some of that law. But I don't like that law. I don't want that. God's law is not a cafeteria menu. It's a pane of glass. You break part of it. You break all of it. Because here's the thing. Remember, all of God's law is under love God, love people. So any law that you break was because you subtracted love. Maybe that would change the way we think about law. James says God's law gives us freedom. It doesn't bind us. It doesn't inhibit us. God's laws aren't prohibitions. They're directions in how to love people better. They free us. They liberate us from having to decide who's important. It adds value to our lives. Because we treat every life as valuable. Let me give you a tangible illustration of this. Watch this video. If you're a sports fan, you recognize the last few seconds of the NCAA championship basketball game when that shot won the game and it will be shown for decades. Chris Jenkins beats North Carolina with a buzzer beater. Now, here's the rest of the story. The player that passed him the ball was named Ryan Aracanado. He was actually the MVP of the tournament. He was the captain of the team. He was the senior. And they practiced that play all the time. And Ryan is supposed to take the shot. The play was designed for Ryan to be the star. Now watch it again. So he's coming down the court. And as Ryan gets right to the last second, he realizes Chris has a better shot. And he gives it up. And Ryan said later, no kid ever dreams of making the game-winning pass. You want to make the game-winning shot. So why did he give up the ball? Because the mission was more important than his own glory. The mission was to win the championship, not exalt himself. And James is saying... The mission is to grow and to advance the kingdom of God. And we do that by making everybody important. Love is the strategy for victory in the kingdom of God. Withholding love results in great loss. And so James says, you must show mercy to others. Or God will not show mercy to you when He judges you. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. Because love welcomes anybody. Love values everybody. And love 
the mercies? Nobody. I made up a word. I could have said love judges nobody, but I don't like to use the word judge much anymore because it has been so misunderstood and so misused, it's lost some of its value. And you hear all the time, well, we're not supposed to judge anybody. That's not exactly what Jesus said. In fact, I would challenge you to go back and listen to a sermon series I did last fall. The Bible doesn't say that. And I have a sermon, Do Not Judge. And I'll spell out what Jesus really said. Because the reality is Jesus was constantly naming sin. And he was constantly calling people out of sin. He was always using that word repent. And in the body of Christ, we must do the same thing. There's no condemnation in Christ, but there is correction in Christ. And love will denounce sin. But love will never deny mercy to a sinner. And a Christian minus love has forgotten how big a sinner they are. Now, I'm going to show you the four most unpopular words in the Bible. They come out of Romans chapter 3. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The four most unpopular words in the Bible are... There's no difference. We want to believe there's a difference. That's why even in the church we have lists. And the biggest list is, well, your sin is worse than my sin. The way you sin is way different than my issue. Here's the truth. You're not going to meet a single person in this building today. Who needs the mercy of God any more than you do. Can I let you in on a secret? You are not saved because of your awesomeness. You can stand without fear at the judgment of God. Because mercy has been poured out on you at the cross of Jesus. The cross does not divide men. The cross unites men. Because when it comes to the need for a Savior, there is no difference. And love knows that's what makes us all equally important. And so... After the tragedy we now call 9-11, then-Mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, spoke and gave a tribute to the brave men and women that rushed into the burning towers. And at that tribute, he said something I thought very powerful. You know, people, I've learned something through all this. Let me see if I can express it to you. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many black people are up there for us to save? I wonder what percentage are whites up there? How many Jews are there? Let's see. Are these people making 400000 a year or 24000 No. When you're saving lives, they're all 
precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get the bosses out first? Not exactly. I confess, I haven't always lived this way. But I'm convinced that God wants us to do it. He wants us to value every human life the way He does. Jesus died because God loved the world. The whole world. And love says different. Makes no difference. Now please do not hear me saying that we should just deny our differences. Diversity is a wonderful thing. You are right to feel proud of your heritage, of your race, of your culture. But what we're saying is that in the church, our differences don't make a difference. Because as we sometimes sing, everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior. And everyone needs to see that in verb form. So Jesus is building a church. Jesus is calling together a community of people that decide who's important in a different way. And can we admit that we still have a way to go? I do. I confess I still have some adding to do. I was raised in a culture that taught me about lists. I'm trying to erase them. I'm trying to do the hard work of confessing and asking the Holy Spirit to change me. Because I need to add more life. And you do too. So Brandon Moody went to visit his uncle for Easter. His uncle's a pastor and his uncle's church was putting on this Easter pageant. The powerful last scene has the actor playing Jesus attached to some cables. And he rises up as he gives the Great Commission into the roof to disappear. The only problem is the guys behind stage with the cables let them slip and Jesus started coming back down. The ascension turned into the second coming. And two feet from the floor, Jesus jerked to a stop. And then the actor playing Jesus ad-libbed brilliantly. He said, one more thing. He said, one more thing. Love one another. That's a good word. Let's pray. I'll finish the prayer, but I want you to start. Do you have enough courage to lay your list before the Lord? What do you need to confess? Where do you need to invite the Holy Spirit to do some work in your heart? 
Why don't you talk to God about it? Oh God, in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, help us see people the way we want you to see us. Amen. Please stand. Would you take your place if you're in our prayer team? We're going to offer you the gift of prayer, the gift of encouragement and counsel. We're going to offer you the gift of baptism. If you're ready to start following Jesus. Because everyone needs a Savior.